This message is provided by Bridgeway Community Church. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning, church. I'm going to start off with Luke chapter 6, verse 31, which simply says this. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Again, I, I say good morning. Welcome to Bridgeway. My name's Pastor Justin. I'm here on staff at Bridgeway, and I get to bring the message this morning. And I want to I kick right off. I want to dive right in and just say Happy New Year. It's the first of the year. Really excited about that. Uh, I know you've all said Happy New Year to one another already, and so I say Happy New Year to you as well. But I do, I want to dive right in this morning, kick this thing off the right way by asking you a question, and it's this. What was your favorite board game to play as a kid, right? Think about that. What was your favorite board game to play as a kid? For some of you, you love board games. Others of you, you can't stand them, am I right? You hate board games. When the family brings up board games, you're like, oh gosh, not this again. Some of you love it. Some of you hate it. For some of you, Board games were a key part of getting together as a family over this last week for the holidays, right? You've been in some intense competitive battles over the last week. Maybe some of you are the king or the queen of Monopoly. You know that game that takes about nine hours to finish? Or maybe others of you, shoots and ladders is more your style, right? It's just kind of a game of chance or luck. Well, do me a favor, do me a favor. I want you right now to turn to somebody next to you and simply tell them what your all-time favorite board game is. Go. See, I knew you had them. I knew you loved board games, maybe as much as I do or the person next to you. Here's, here's what I think is interesting or fascinating about board games. I think for most of us, we played board games more as kids than we do now as adults. And when I was a kid... My family played Trouble like it was nobody's business. You ever, you ever seen that game before, Trouble? You ever played that one before? I look back at that commercial, that, just, that brings me back to my childhood. Literally, I, think, I thought of that scene where the mom walks into the room and is like, hey, what are you guys doing? And the kids are like, getting into trouble. And that was like a dream of mine as a kid, to be able to say that to my parents and it be like a cool thing and the mom just kind of leaves the room. I loved trouble as a kid. And my, my family played it and uh, there's just something... There's just something about that popomatic bubble in the middle. You know what I'm talking about? That was just, ah, it was just satisfying. Every time he, it was more about popping the bubble than it was playing the game. But I got to tell you this. We played it in my family like crazy. And uh, my sister and I in particular played that game like crazy. And uh, I, I even remember that my sister and I, we would get into fights over this game. We would get into fights over this game. And typically, uh, I played a role in those fights. I, I actually, anytime my family played trouble, I played a role in my family. And that role was simply this. I, was, I played the role of the crybaby. You know what I mean? Maybe some of you have played that role when it comes to family games together. It was a pretty straightforward role, and I played it really, really well. If I lost, I cried. That was it. Every single time. It was a great strategy because my family knew this about me. And so I think it gave me an edge going into the games because nobody wanted me to cry again. And so I think they let me win more times than not. But I played my role well. Regardless of that, my sister and I, we would sometimes, we'd get into fights over this game trouble. And if I'm being honest with you, I think, of a, I think a lot of our fights 
felt this way. Not just my, just my fights with my sister in the game Trouble, but maybe fights in our family felt this way. Like we were, like we were playing some sort of game. Maybe that works the exact same way for you too when it comes to family fights. You make a move and then, and then your sister blocks you. And so you make a different move. And then she does too. And it goes back and forth and back and forth. And you end up playing this game of one-upsmanship when it comes to fighting in your family. Or maybe if you don't get what you want, you just make a move to block that family member from getting what they want. And maybe you use some of the, the classic strategies, I think, when it comes to fighting or arguing or bickering. Some of those classic strategies are things like whining or door slamming or yelling, passive-aggressive comments, ignoring, glaring, or even my sister's all-time favorite, the eye roll. Maybe those, maybe you even combine some of those to make like one big super move when it comes to your fights in your family. But whatever strategy you take, when it comes to family fighting, when I say family fighting, this could be anybody in your family, right? Whether it's your parents or your siblings, your cousins, an aunt and uncle, your grandparents, your, your children, your grandchildren. When it comes to family fighting, we all tend to have the same end in mind, and it's this. We want to get what we want. We want to get what we want out of it. To have the end result of that fight be something that we would choose it to be, which typically looks like this. I'm right and they're wrong. They should apologize and I'll say, jolly good game, victory is mine. But I believe this. I believe there's a better way. And that's what we're going to spend time talking about this morning, is how to make the best God-honoring move when it comes to your family. And I think what a better time of the year, right? New year, jump into these, these new opportunities. But really, new opportunities come in more than just the new year. They come in each and every single new day. And so I want to talk today about what it looks like to make that God-honoring move when it comes to your family. And while we probably won't figure out how to get your spouse out of the bathroom in, under the, under in less than an hour, I, I do think we'll talk about some things that can be really helpful when it comes to dealing with the people that we call our family in a way that hopefully emulates how Jesus walked this earth. And so let's get one thing straight right off the bat, one thing straight. Family infighting is destructive, exhausting, divisive, painful. Frankly, family infighting is either sparked by sin or it leads to sin. And sometimes it can be both. To summarize it and, and maybe even dumb it down a little bit, fighting that happens within our families is just simply not good. It can be anything but good. And so when we've been in the midst of a family fight, there's probably two things that most of us have realized about our familial adversaries, and it's these two things. One, they're not always right, and two, they're not always fair. 
In fact, chances are you've had a moment in the midst of your family where you've realized two more potentially, uh, potentially alarming truths, and it's these two. You can't change your family, and you can't escape them. Are you depressed yet? <laughs> don't be, don't be. Because there's good news, and the good news is this, is that we are not stuck with the relationships we currently have with our family members. While we, while we can't change our family, man, we, we can change our relationships with them. See, at the very beginning of this message, I quoted a piece of scripture, and I want to come back to that now. You see, when Jesus came back from the dead, a lot of people started telling the stories about it. I don't know about you, but for me, whenever I see someone come back from the dead, I tell all my friends about it. So, so a bunch of people had to write down, they decided to write down the stories to keep record of all that happened when Jesus came back from the dead. And in particular, I want to talk this morning a little bit about Luke. And Luke was a doctor who wrote this particular book in the Bible named after him called Luke. And Luke carefully investigated Jesus's life. And as a result, he wrote this book as a letter to his friend Theophilus. Why did he do this? Because in Luke's words, so that you, Theophilus, may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. From Luke 1, verse 4. You see, that was Luke's role, to listen to credible sources and then write down what he had heard. And because of that, now, you and I, we can know with certainty about what Jesus said and what Jesus did. And so this verse that we're looking at, it's, it's tucked inside the book of Luke, and it was a part of Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is talking on a hillside to a group of people, a group of people who had gathered to listen to what he had to say. They were a part of, of Jesus' entourage, if you will. But even people who weren't a part of Jesus' entourage and heard about who Jesus was and knew that they had to come and hear the words that this man was saying. And so they gathered. People from all over the place had to come and see for themselves and see Jesus live and in person. And in the middle of his teaching, Jesus says this again, Luke 6, verse 31. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Now, I want, I want to go on a quick detour. Have you ever watched a basketball game where it gets really chippy or it gets really intense? Where both teams just start getting really physical with one another. And one team starts it. And so the other team feels like they've got to retaliate. And next thing you know, the refs are calling fouls on every single possession. One team makes a dirty move. And, and now it's the other team's chance to, to make their move. And before you know it, someone ends up getting kicked out of the game. Like a, a player or a coach or your grandma. And, and on and on it goes. One move after another. And it makes the game incredibly tense. You see, sometimes navigating life with our family feels that way too. It's, it's almost as if someone makes one bad move, and each move after that makes the situation more and more extreme. And then we end up seeing ourselves, getting ourselves into this vicious cycle 
this vicious cycle of gamesmanship where we almost crave the retaliation from them because it means we get to respond back and feed the beast that we call having the last word. But the problem is this. The problem is that there's no buzzer beater to end that game. It's never over because we do life with these people. Even if we try not to, we're forever bonded with the people we call our family. And in the midst of all of that, Jesus said, do to other people as you would have them do to you. Okay, even if you've never been to church a single day in your life, you've probably heard this phrase before. Because some even call it the, what do they call it? They call it the golden rule. A lot of people don't even realize that this is in the Bible. The golden rule, it's widely embraced, isn't it? It's, it's quoted by preschoolers, by teachers, by adults, politicians even. But that also in and of itself presents a problem. Because when you hear something a lot, you begin to tune it out. It becomes this thing called white noise. Some of you in here even like to sleep with white noise on. Others of you in here, maybe you're elbowing your spouse like, I can't sleep because of their white noise. See, I remember, well, did you, did you know this? Did you know that you can practically turn anything into white noise? You can turn practically anything into white noise. I remember when I was in middle school, and my parents had made this awesome decision for me that they wanted to end up buying me a drum set for home. And so I, I was given a drum set as a gift from my parents when I was in middle school so that I could practice and play. And I was taking lessons. And if you don't know anything about the drums, I'll tell you one of the very most important things about them, they're loud. <laughs> and I played them loudly. And I practiced every single day. And I slammed on, I hit bang and smash. And they were so loud. I remember that one time uh, we had a neighbor who lived five houses down the street, up over on the other side of a hill, come and tell my dad, hey, Justin's sounding like he's getting kind of good on the drums. And we were like, you can hear that? Five houses down? It was so loud. And yet I remember one day, I, was just, I just got done playing for like an hour straight. I've got music cranked up. I'm slamming on the drums, and I'm like sweating. I get done, and I come down the stairs. I look over into the living room, and there's my dad in the living room. Completely passed out, snoring. My drums that were insanely loud that I'm sure has even caused hearing damage to, to my ears became my dad's white noise, and that became a routine. I'd, I'd come down from playing drums, and my dad would be passed out. <laughs> you see, in the same way, if there are things from the Bible that we have heard a lot, man, maybe it becomes white noise. Maybe, maybe you've learned to ignore it, whether intentionally or accidentally. But I think this is super key to remember when it comes to this passage. Jesus said this. Jesus said this. Luke wrote it down, and then it's been quoted for centuries ever since. So if that's the case, then there's probably something really important about what Jesus said here. Check this out. I don't want you to miss this. Jesus' words, do to others as you would have them do to you. Jesus' words 
implies that people will get things wrong and people will fail. When Jesus told us to treat people well, he 100% knew that we would be surrounded by people, including our family, who will often mess up and get things wrong. People like your kids who aren't around anymore. People like your sister-in-law who, who spreads rumors about you. People like your grandparents who, who seem to have no filter and say the wrong thing over and over again. People like your mom who can be rude at times. People like your family. This isn't just a message from Jesus that says, be nice. This is a message that says, people are going to treat you wrong and do unfair things to you at times. In those moments, treat them how you want to be treated when you do wrong and unfair things. You see, that's a big deal because it, it evens the playing field a bit, doesn't it? That acknowledges that, that some negative stuff will inevitably come from the people around you, especially your family who is around you more than anybody. But you and I, we're going to bring some negative stuff to the table too, aren't we? Chances are we already have. So I want you to think about this question. How do you want people to respond when you make the wrong move? How do you want people to respond when you make the wrong move? You see, all we see sometimes when we look at our family is their mistakes and their failures. But Jesus is saying they're human. They're people too. They've made mistakes. They get their feelings hurt. They have bad days. A lot of us know this to be true about ourselves. We know this to be true about ourselves at the very least. But see, you aren't the only human in the equation. You are surrounded, we are surrounded by people who are trying to figure this life out just like we are. And if you can figure out why they are behaving the way they are behaving, it'll probably help you figure out how to respond because the why behind things, it just helps us always. And maybe if we figured out that in order to see things from other people, we have to dish those things out as well to, to be the change we wanna see in other people, right? You wanna see respect from your family? Learn to show them respect even when you're not receiving it. You wanna see kindness from your family. Learn to be kind in your family's lowest moments. Again, even when you're not receiving kindness back from them. See, we live in a culture where fortunately, we get a lot of choices, don't we? We get a lot of choices each and every single day. We get to choose who we want to marry. We get to choose our friends. We get to choose our hobbies. We get to choose, you get to choose your job. You get to choose whether you wear underwear or not. And I just said we had choices. I didn't say we always make the right ones. <laughs> but I'll tell you what we don't get to choose. We don't get to choose our family. We don't get to test drive our family, do we? If we did, a lot of us would head right back to the dealership and be like, this is a clunker, I want a new one. <laughs> but on top of that, we don't get to choose how our family acts. Don't miss this, church. The way you respond to this family craziness has huge potential to increase or decrease your happiness in life. 
You see, in between what they do and what you do lies the greatest potential for you to experience joy or despair. It's the difference between you feeling free or being trapped. There's a ton hanging in the balance with this. And your time will go towards trying to control one side or the other. So you have a choice to make. It's, it's your move on the game board. You see, when family members hurt us or make us mad, most of us simply react. Trust me, I've been there. <laughs> well, how, how do you react? Well, it kind of depends on what was done to you, right? Because when our family does something hurtful or annoying, it gives you the reason to react the way you do. That's called your reason. Meaning it's your legitimate reason for feeling hurt or angered or, no or annoyed or so on and so forth. But let me ask you this. When is the last time you had a legitimate reason to be mad at a family member? And how did you choose to respond? Because it's a choice. I, I want to give, give you three reasons why reacting immediately doesn't exactly benefit you when it comes to family fights. Here's the first reason. When you re just react, and you're constantly just reacting and reacting immediately, you create more conflict. We do. You just you create more conflict. It, it creates a domino effect of pain. The more you react, the more you hurt. Here's the second reason why reacting isn't always beneficial. You hurt yourself. You become stuck in a cycle of hurting and being hurt. Hurting and being hurt. Here's the third reason why reacting doesn't always benefit you. You will always have reasons to react. Unless you move to a cave, you will always have reasons to react when it comes to your family and family, family fights, family feuds. But here's the good news. The good news is this, church. There is a move that you can make to break the cycle. You see, some, some scholars, most scholars believe that somewhere between 60 and 62 AD, the Apostle Paul, who is one of the most famous Jesus followers of all time, wrote a letter to a church in the town of Ephesus. And the church in Ephesus was having a hard time getting along. Not because they were bad people, but because sometimes it's just hard to get along with people. And one of the main goals of this letter was to promote unity in the group of Jesus followers that would become the church. Why? Why, like, why was this letter written in this way? Because God, God set up the church. And God, I believe God wants the church to be a collection of people who learn how to live in community, learn how to love each other, and learn how to work together. But God also set up the family. And a family is a collection of people who learn how to live in community, who learn how to love each other, and live how to, or learn how to work together. So when Paul talks to the church about the church, it's important for everyone in a family to pay attention because he, what he said to them can definitely help us as well. And Paul starts by saying this. This comes from Ephesians 4, verse 32. Ephesians 4, verse 32. 
Be kind and compassionate to one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Notice, I'm going to stop there. It keeps going, but I'm going to pause there for a second. Notice that Paul doesn't say this. Paul doesn't say, be kind and compassionate to them so that they will act the way you want them to act. Paul doesn't say that, does he? He just simply says, be kind and compassionate to one another. He simply says, the best way to live in community, to love each other, and to work together is to start with kindness and compassion. What if, what if you practice this for two days in your own family where you started with kindness and compassion? And you're each and every single day and your reactions to your family. Be kind and compassionate to one another. And Paul continues, he says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Forgiveness is incredibly difficult. While that's incredibly difficult, I believe it's going to have it's it's going to be the best move you can possibly make for yourself and your sanity in the long run when it comes to family fighting. Because you can spend years, you guys, I believe you know this to be true. You can spend years thinking about all the things that they that they did to hurt you or revisiting and reliving all the bad moves they made against you. But that will only make things worse. If you want peace in your family, if you want to keep your family life or your home life from being miserable, if you want any kind of control over what happens in your family when it comes to these fights, then you've got to know this. It won't begin with what they do. It will begin with what you do in response. It will begin when you decide to forgive You see, and then Paul ends with this. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God has forgiven you. Just as in Christ, just as in Christ God has forgiven you. You see, God, I love this about God. God made the first move in his relationship with you. God made the first move and his relationship with you. You see, church, here's my hope. My hope is this, is that you and I, is that we can break the cycle, that we can break the cycle of constantly looking at our next move, constantly reacting, constantly reacting with with our next best, best move to experience some sort of twisted perception of victory in our families. I, I, my prayer this morning, church, is that we, we break the cycle of this. And maybe we, just, maybe we just realize that we just need to pick up the game and set it down and walk away from the game that we've been playing in our families. Maybe we need to put the game down and refuse to be a pawn on the game board because God has called us to be so, something so much bigger in the midst of our families. Maybe instead of immediately reacting, God is calling us to realize that the game of family feuding, it just brings trouble. Maybe instead of plotting our next move, God is calling us to simply refrain, to rest in Him, 
to ask him for guidance, to pray like the sanctity of our family depends on it, to learn to forgive and to let God move mountains in the midst of our family. You see, I, here's what I do realize. For some of us in the room, you've been doing that. You've been doing it for, for years. And it's been a tough battle, but your family is steadfast in their desire to bear arms against you. Here's my encouragement this morning, church. Keep up the good fight. If that's you, keep up the good fight. Don't give up. Because this fight for our family, it's not fruitless. Romans 12, 21 says this. Do not be overcome by evil, but instead overcome evil with good. Too often we, we allow ourselves to be overcome with evil in the midst of our family infighting. When God says overcome evil with good, you see, you can't control how they, how they act. You can't control how they react but you can control your actions and where you place your hope. Don't rest in the hope of winning a fight. Rest in the hope of God restoring relationships through peace. Rest in the fact that God, the God that we worship and follow, that he's bigger than this. God's bigger than this. It might take years. Shoot, you may never know the fruits of your decision to follow Jesus in this, to follow his footsteps in this, but have confidence in the fact that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. You see, their move doesn't have to determine yours. And so that's my prayer and my hope this, this new year, church, in this new season, in this new day is that we would, is that you would fight for your family with the weapon of forgiveness. And I believe that when you will do that, when we do that, we will experience a greater victory through God's grace than we will ever find selfishly fighting to be right. And so that's my prayer this morning, church, is that, is that we would just be willing to pick up the right weapon, put on the armor of the armor of God, and go to fight for our families for the right reason and not fight against them for the wrong ones. And I believe God will bless that. I do. I believe God will bless that. It might not be today. It might not be tomorrow. We might not ever see that on this earth, but I do believe that God will bless it in due time, in God's timing. And I trust in that with all my heart. And that's my prayer this morning for us, church, is that we would do that as well. God, in, in just a moment, church, we get, a, we get a, another opportunity to worship. Just say, God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this day that you have made, and I, I'm going to choose to be glad in it, even in the midst of hard stuff in my family. And God, I just devote, I devote this new year, this new day to fighting for my family for the right reasons and trusting you through the process. And so we go to him in prayer church and get ready to worship him some more. And so God, we do, we do just that. We come to you this morning, recognizing that you've put a, a divine opportunity in front of us, a divine opportunity in front of us, not just in this new year, but in this new day, God, to, to reach out to our family, to, to, to react in a way, God, that points people to you in a way that, God, our, our own family just sees you 
in the midst of tough, difficult moments, God, I pray that we would, we would lean into the fact that you chose to love us first. God, would we continue to walk into the, the, the lives of our family members in a way where, God, they sense your love from us. That even, even when we've been wronged, in the moments where we feel like, no, I've gotta, I've gotta stand up and I've gotta, I can't let this slide and I can't, God, those are good, righteous things in moments, but God, I also pray that the righteousness would come from you and not our own selfishness to, and, and, and longing and desire to feel right or to be right. God, you fight for us. Would we be willing, God, I, I pray this this morning, would we be willing to fight for our families for you? God, no matter what that looks like. God, maybe that looks like stepping away for some time. God, maybe that looks like leaning in and having more conversation. God, no matter what that looks like, the details, God, the details of it you're in control of. But God, I just pray that we can simply take a step forward towards our family and say, I wanna right this ship no matter what that looks like. God, would you give us the courage and the bravery to do so? Would you convict us, God, in a way that says, no, my, my family is worth fighting for. God, would you just continue to work in our hearts in a, in a way where we worship and praise you through those actions, God, where we worship and praise you through the actions and the reactions when it comes to our family. God, would we do that this morning. We worship and praise you, God, searching for peace. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. Check out our app or website at bridgewaycommunity.org for more messages or to take the sermon one step deeper by downloading the Sermon Discussion Guide.